Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Well, it's good to be back after a number of weeks on holiday, a little croaky, but nevertheless, I'm here. So this is my dog, Millie. She's a border collie, she's seven and a half, and she knows a lot of words. Sit, drop, wait, get in the car, time for bed, where's your stick, where's your ball, where's your rope? She even knows the names of our immediate family, some of our extended family. She knows what it means when we say we're going to grandma's. She knows a lot of words and she talks a lot of the time. Very loudly, she whines. Some of it I can sort of understand, but most of it I can't. Sometimes she will understand exactly what I'm saying to her and do what I say, often. She might not. So because we had this communication breakdown, I bought this book. Teach your dog 100 English words. And me being me, I read this book. Unfortunately, the dog can't read the book. (laughs) So on page 30 it says, this gem, is it really possible for a dog to learn human words? Yes. The dog will learn words easily. If you consistently link a word to its appropriate object or action, the sound has become a word. A word is simply a sound with meaning. Well, maybe that's the case for dogs. But is that really all words are for us? I think words are more than that. Language is powerful. And in fact, many people say that language is the thing that distinguishes us as human beings from animals. Words enable us to communicate. They can be spoken, they can be written, they can be sung. In fact, we've been singing words all morning. They can even be acted out. Words enable us to communicate intangible thoughts emotions and really complex ideas. They're our interface with the world and with each other. Words can not only describe our physical world, they can change it. Words can welcome, they can include, or they can separate and exclude. Words can excite, insight, inspire or distress. We use words to declare our love to each other. We also use words to declare war. We use words to reveal, to conceal, to explain or dispute. And the words, these sounds that we make with our mouths or marks that we write can chart the course of history, the course of nations and our human lives for both good and evil. And so today we are going to explore 
what God can teach us about being wise with our words. But first, I want to spend some time together praying. So let's pray, and, and this is quite a long prayer, and I just ask you to think as we go through, if you can agree with it, pray it with me. Otherwise, just let it, um, let it flow in your mind and may it challenge you and may it inspire you. So let's pray together. Father God, all the words written in the Bible are there for one reason, to point us to Jesus, who is the living word of God. We read in Genesis 1 that at the beginning of time, your word brought creation into being. We read in John 1 that Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh, with God in the beginning, the word through whom all things were made, given life and sustained, a word that brings light in the darkness. We read in the Gospels, in the New Testament, Jesus' words of invitation, words bringing purpose, acceptance, healing, freedom, words of truth, words of challenge, words of wonder, words of life. Chapter 6 of John's letter at verse, uh, John's account of Jesus' life in verse 63 records Jesus speaking to his, life, to his disciples saying, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Lord, you've shown us that words create worlds and our words can either build up or tear down. Lord, we come this morning and acknowledge and confess that at many times in the past and still today, those claiming to speak in the name of Jesus and sometimes including us have spoken words of accusation, condemnation, division, hatred and death. We confess, Lord, that we've spoken in ways that have hurt or harmed others. And Lord, we come this morning and we say we're sorry. We're sorry for what we have said and done ourselves and for what has been said and done by Christians in your name, where that falls short of your glory. We confess too that many times we've stayed silent when we should have spoken. Lord, please forgive us. Please help us to stop speaking words of discord and destruction and instead to speak your words of life that build up. Help us to take whatever action we can to mend the damage our words have done. Loving Father, comfort those who have been at the receiving end of our harsh words. Bring them your words of life, of hope, of acceptance, of encouragement and restoration. Lord, may they meet Jesus as your living word, bringing light in their darkness. Lord, we need your help to be wise with our words. And to speak wisely, our mouths must be fountains of life. But these fountains of life can only spring from hearts that have been transformed by your good news about Jesus. 
So ultimately, God, we need to experience your love and live in it every day if we're ever going to live and speak wisely in a world that so desperately needs it. So Father, we come this morning and ask as a community of faith, help us to read, study and listen to the words written in the Bible so that we can meet and know this Jesus. Bring those words alive so that we can discern the whole picture of scripture, God's big story for all of history. Help us to hear your call to live out God's ideal for humanity. And as we do, allow the Holy Spirit to shape and reshape us. Lord, as we sit these next few minutes, speak to us your word of truth, your word of life and your words of transformation and help us to listen and respond. So be it. So today is um, number three in our four-week series throughout January. We've been looking at four key areas of life where we need wisdom. And the wisdom books in the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Job, are books of poetry that distill the essence of wisdom into beautiful and at times really challenging poems and prose. So I don't have time to further expand on this this morning, but I've been really greatly um, helped as I've been preparing this in some resources that the Bible Project has online, and if you haven't discovered them, I really encourage you to do that. Uh, they've got a number of videos, including a video which combines the video about um, Ecclesiastes, Job and Proverbs together, and it's well worth the eight minutes of your life that you can uh, spend watching it. So if you want to find the link, I can really recommend um, that you have a look at that video and there are other resources to grasp the fuller story that we can find in the Bible about God's wisdom. So our four-week series has drawn on four broad themes from Proverbs. In week one, Andrew shared with us on being wise by following God's command and trusting him for direction, and we learned about how he trespassed on a building site late at night and fell through the floor. Last week, Ian shared on being wise by guarding your heart. Next week, the final in our series, we're going to look at being wise with your choice of friends. And today, our theme is one that is repeated many times in the book of Proverbs and in other places about being wise with your words. Proverbs talks a lot about words, what comes out of our mouth, what's on our lips, the power of our tongues, gossip, nagging, chattering, words of blessing and words of curse. And today we're going to be primarily drawing on chapters 10, uh, 15 verse 28, 13 verse 3, but I also encourage you to read um, the whole book of James in the New Testament, James's letter to the church, the early church there, which talks a lot about our tongues and, and about the power of our words. I'm also going to be drawing on Ecclesiastes and also um, John. And there's lots and lots of similar verses right throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament so we can gather a consistent message. The words that we use and how we use them is not only important, but something that has enormous impact both on us and on those around us and for which we are accountable. 
So when you look at the book of Proverbs, this book of of, uh, sayings, if you like, it contains multiple two-line statements. Sometimes a statement that says something positive and then negative. These short two-line sayings that are easy to remember. But the thing is about Proverbs is that they are not... um, They are not promises, they're generic statements of probabilities. So they're drawn on the the lived wisdom of a community across the ages. If you live like this, then this type of result is likely. They are not incantations or magic spells. They're not like saying abracadabra over and over again. They're not promises that if you say X, then Y is going to happen to you. And again, it's worth reading all of the wisdom books together to get that sense of how this fits together. And the same is true of all of the words in the Bible. As I've said, they're not incantations or magic spells that we recite over and over again to make God give us the desired result. Instead... The words in the Bible, the words that we're going to study today and the words that many of us have read so many times across this library that we call the Bible, this book here is is a library of lots of different books and letters and different types of genres, poetry, prose, prophecy, all sorts of different types of writing collected together with their variety, with their different authors all brought together. They are there for one reason only, to point us to the person of Jesus to reveal Jesus to us, to bring us mercy, grace, forgiveness and hope. So today I've got four points. If you need to go to sleep, these are my four points. You can go to sleep now. Listen first. Less is more. Be a fountain, not a swamp. And the medium is the message. The greatest gift that we can give to others is really to listen to them. In my professional life, I've taught hundreds of classes, possibly thousands of classes. I've interviewed probably hundreds of people professionally. And the most valuable part of me as an educator or as someone who is interviewing somebody else is to stop talking and to listen. And sometimes that means I have to hold that silence of listening for longer than it's comfortable to allow the other person space to speak. People might think at different times, at different paces, they're processing things, and when you hold that space and listen first and listen longest, that is a great gift to the person that you are speaking to. So my first and very short point this morning is being wise with your words as people who can speak the words of hope is to listen first to the person or people that you're speaking to. James 1, 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And when we listen first and listen long, it might be that our initial impression of what someone else is saying to us 
is changed or is fleshed out or is nuanced. And that, that can mean that we can reduce our anger, we can avoid our anger and we can understand how to appropriately respond to them in love. My second point this morning is less is more. And I want just now to read a selection of beautiful scriptures that make this point to us over and over and over again. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 to 3. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God because God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Proverbs 10, two different translations of the same uh, verse 19. The more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. And from the NIV, same translation, same verse, different translation. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 13, 3, again, two translations. From the message, careful words make for a careful life. Careless talk may ruin everything. From the NIV, verse 3 again, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. There's an example in John's account of Jesus' life, what we call John's Gospel, of Jesus thinking before speaking of really measuring his words. And that example is a stunning example of how measuring words can save someone's life. And in fact, this example in John 8 has the result of saving a woman's life. Now, I'm not going to put the words on the screen. I want you to just reflect on this image as I read these words from John 8 verses 1 to 11 to you. And as I'm reading them, I want you to listen for all the times it says whether Jesus is speaking or not speaking. John 8, 1 to 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. 
until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So few words when Jesus could have spoken so many. Words that saved someone's life. Incredible words of wisdom. Be wise with your words. Less is more. My third point today is be a fountain, not a swamp. Words can and do break us regularly. And they break or can break the people that we speak them to. From Proverbs 10:11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. It's from the NIV or from the message The mouth of a good person is a deep, life-giving well, but the mouth of the wicked is a dark cave of abuse. Further on in Proverbs 10, verses 31 and 32, from the top, the message translation, a good person's mouth is a clear fountain of wisdom. A foul mouth is a stagnant swamp. The speech of a good person clears the air. The words of the wicked pollute it. Same verses, 31 and 32, from the NIV translation. From the mouth of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. The lips of the righteous know what finds favour, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. From Proverbs 15, 28, and then Proverbs 12, 6. The heart of the righteous, sorry, there's a typo there, that should be the righteous, weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. The words of the wicked kill, but the speech of the upright saves. Really powerful, really, really powerful um, challenges, warnings, encouragements to us to be people who weigh our thoughts and to be those who speak in such a way that we save, not condemn or harm others. In much of our world, much of what we hear and see on the radio, on TV, in our newspapers and on our social media feeds is increasingly incredibly polarised. It's vicious, It's racist. Many of the discussions that we see now in our public sphere are fuelled by personal attacks, by half or mistruths, or claims that haven't properly been fact-checked. And very, very sadly, in fact tragically, even in the last week or so, there have been numerous high-profile examples um, where words spoken and disseminated on social media have had awful consequences, relationship breakdowns, ruined reputations, serious adverse mental health implications and, as I say very recently, tragically, even suicide. 
And I've been thinking a lot about this as I've been preparing this message. And when I first started preparing this message, I was going to include in my message lots of examples of where things throughout Christian history that Christians have said has been so damaging. Or other things that people have said more recently that have been so damaging that we might need to think about and think about how we as a community of faith respond. And I had them all there in the first draft and and then I felt like God was saying to me, if you include those things, you're just doing exactly the same. You're just spilling out words of, of evil and of death. So I removed them because I felt like God was saying to me, don't be part of the swamp and pollute the air even further. And this, this, preparing this message has really been the culmination, I would say, of months now of me really struggling with this issue around the speech in our world these days. In fact, I would call it a crisis of faith. I would say that this was a crisis of faith for me because I've been asking myself, how can I continue to call myself a Christian, call myself someone who follows Christ, when I hear and see and read some of the hatred, in fact, a lot of hatred, spoken and written by other people who also claim to be followers of Christ? And that has brought me to a point where I've said, well, how, how, how can I continue to be calling myself a Christian? And I've looked back across the course of history, as I'm sure many of you have done as well, and I've seen this time and time and time again, when people who stand up and say, I'm a follower of Christ, then spew evil and hatred from their mouths or write it down. And I've been asking myself now for some months, do they... Do they know and follow the same God as me? How can they use the words of the Bible to demonise, to condemn or to justify violence? And what does all this mean for me and my faith and where I sit in a, in a broader community of faith? And I've had to ask myself, am I using these words? Am I using the words uh, that I read in my Bible? Am I using them in the same way? Am I just as as uh, guilty as I am making the other people that I'm looking at. And it's been a real wrestle for me, a real wrestle. And so me being me, I've sought out various books and uh, podcasts and theologians and conversations with people, uh, and I've become increasingly desperate as the rhetoric on all sides, in politics, around climate change, around... um, gender, around sexuality, around asylum seekers has just ramped up and up and got more and more vicious. On all sides, on all sides. And as I've been wrestling with God has met me in my search. I had been searching for an answer and the answer is Jesus. That is where our focus should be because Jesus, with God in the beginning, was the word through through whom all things were made. Jesus is the word that gives life, that sustains life. He is the word of God in a person, a living word that brings light in our darkness. Now, somebody else who was wrestling in darkness for, well, actually, 
all but 19 months of her entire life, but wrestling in enti entirely in frustration for over five years was Helen Keller. So Helen Keller had an illness at 19 months of age and she was left blind and deaf at a time when there weren't huge services for people with disabilities of those sorts. And when she was seven, her family located uh, a young woman who had just graduated from an institution that had trained her to um, teach people with vision impairment and with hearing impairment, and her name was Annie Sullivan. And in fact, she had a vision impairment herself. And so Annie Sullivan, at the age of 20, came to live with Helen Keller's family. And the first months they were there was complete dis disaster. Total frustration, total frustration. And then, as Helen Keller recounts later on in her autobi autobiography, after a frustrating month, Keller realised that the motions her teacher was making on the palm of her hand so she was making some movements on her hand while her other hand was under flowing cool water. And this young girl of seven realised that these motions were letters that corresponded with the water on her hand. And something went through her mind and she put those two together. She suddenly joined those dots and then it was... Take me here, show me what this is, show me, the, show me the words for all of these other things. And as I say, in her autobi autobiography, The Story of My Life, Keller recalled that moment as a seven-year-old child. And I say this because this, is, this was me in my search arriving at Jesus. I stood still, my whole attention fixed on the motions of Annie's fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. The living word awakened my soul gave it light, hope, and set it free. Jesus is that true living word. And his words, his words, his life, his life as word of life, is an invitation to every single one of us, whether you've met him already or whether you haven't, of acceptance, of welcome, of healing and restoration, of words bringing purpose, freedom, truth, wonder and life. And if we are followers of Christ, our words must be the same. We must be a fountain of that cool water, not a swamp. And my final point, the medium is the message, is taken from a phrase coined by a Canadian philosopher of media back in the 1960s, Marshall McLuhan, who wrote a book, Understanding Media, The Extensions of Man. And this phrase he, he coined in this book has become used many, many times. And I want to, to use it today for this purpose. And I want to say that 
being wise with our words, it's not just what we say, but it's how we say it. It's our tone. It's the volume of our voice. It's our posture. The posture of our bodies, our hand movements. If I'm saying this to you, it's very different than saying this. It's our facial expressions. It's whether our email or our social media post is in all caps with lots of exclamation marks or whether it's carefully thought through. It's about when we speak and when we choose not to. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. And Proverbs 15.3, Kind words heal and help, but cutting words wound and maim. And in my search to resolve my issues around all of this, one of the things that I came across was these great resources from the Baptist Churches of South Australia. So this is the website, and I really encourage you to have a bit of a look on the website of the Baptist Churches of South Australia. And I found there that they, the Baptist Churches of South Australia Assembly Board in, I think it's October or November, says at the bottom of the document, has recently adopted a statement that says, our framework for discernment and conversation. And I, I really encourage you to access it and read it. I think it contains some, some uh, incredible wisdom that we can learn from as leaders of our movement have put together their thoughts around these things. And so as I conclude today, I'd like to read just some of these extracts from this statement and I hope that they will be uh, an encouragement for us, a challenge, an aspiration, something that we can aim for, something that will make us think and something that will give us some tools as we go on to live out being wise with our words. So this is from this document which is called Our Framework for Discernment and Conversation. We seek to apply our understanding of the gracious and loving character of our God, of what it means to be human, of the reality of sin and living in a fractured world and the call on the church to live as a people of hope. We are a community that chooses to live in response to God and be a light to the world, not coercive of anyone else, but wanting to articulate a prophetic voice to our wider community. We value the need for nuance and patience in wrestling with theological perspectives on complex issues. We will not always agree among ourselves on everything, but we seek to maintain relationship with one another in love and fellowship as we continue to discern together. We aim to show generosity and hospitality to those with whom we disagree. We recognise that the church has not always done well in this area. We are willing to apologise and commit to do better. And we seek to listen well to the voices of others. We will use our voice to speak on behalf of others who do not have the same opportunity to speak. In our tone and posture towards others, 
we seek to be willing listeners learning together. Should disagreement arise, we will strive to be gracious and gentle, operating out of love rather than fear, and communicating thoughtfully rather than engaging in depersonalising or battleground language. We aim to work with and alongside others, articulating what we believe as people of faith, but recognising that our voice may sometimes be a minority voice. We do not claim a right to, be, to determine what must be, but instead we seek a place to be heard well, as we, as I, as you, as we, articulate our perspective on flourishing for the good of our community. Be wise with your words. Listen first. Less is more. Be a fountain, not a swamp. And the medium is the message. But if you take nothing else from this morning, remember that Jesus is the living word. God made flesh for us. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.